Proverbs introduces us to wisdom. Proverbs teaches us godly values and moral behavior. From wisdom, we enjoy discipline and success, and we learn how to live a godly life that pleases God. Its theological foundation is simple. The fear of God, meaning submission to the will of God, is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom teaches us to avoid temptation and how to escape the fate of the greedy. Since humans have life and prosperity by conforming to the will of God, seeking wisdom is the very essence and goal of the Christian life. No one likes to talk about discipline. Discipline is a difficult thing to embrace because it requires personal sacrifice and we by nature are self-centered. We don't like to be deprived of what we want. Solomon begins the book of Proverbs with these words. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Well, it's not just the young that need discernment and knowledge. Sadly, too many of us have never really grown up. We are still infantile in our thinking and the way that we live. Let us pray that the Lord will do profound work in our lives as we seek to gain the wisdom of God. Well, we are beginning a brand new summer series called Wisdom, an Introduction. And the reason we're saying an introduction is because there's no way that we can cover the whole topic of wisdom over just 10 weeks. Let me begin by telling you the story of a couple of astronauts, and more specifically, one astronaut. Her name was Lisa Novak. Back in February 2007, she drove from Houston all the way to uh, Orlando, Florida, to uh, confront the woman who had won the affections of astronaut William Offline. Here's William Offline. This was Lisa's lover. Well, what happened was Offline found another woman. And what happened was Nowak discovered this and she decided that she needed to go and confront the other woman. Well, instead of just having a conversation, she, in fact, attacked the other woman with pepper spray. The investigators found in her car hundreds of dollars in cash, emails that were printed out from Offline's uh, computer, and uh, these, these printouts were actually personal emails between Offline and his new lover. They found in her car uh, pepper spray, a knife, a BB gun, a mallet, and a number of other things. Who knows what would have happened had she been able to be with this woman longer than she was. Thankfully, the other woman got away. It was reported that Novak wore diapers on her 900-mile drive from Texas to Florida in order to avoid having to stop and take bathroom breaks. Well, this transformed the story into irresistible fodder for the tabloids and the late-night shows, uh, and you may remember the story. Now, the average IQ of most of us, uh, the average IQ of Canadians is about 100. Well, they report that the average IQ of an astronaut is about 140, which is the genius level. 
And I know what you're thinking, because it's exactly what I thought. How on earth, or in space, could someone with an IQ of 140 be so stupid and do such self-humiliating things? This woman is not an astronaut, she's an astronaut. Yeah, I thought you'd like that joke. Well, over the years, uh, I have seen some extremely smart people do some extremely stupid things. The question today is, what is your WQ, never mind your IQ, what's your wisdom quotient? How do you stand up when it comes to wisdom? Are you wise or are you smart but stupid? This is unfortunately the case to so many people. In fact, all those who declare that there is no God, the Bible says, are fools, are extremely stupid. Those who don't live according to the word of God, those who don't live according to the wisdom handed down to us through, through scriptures, the Bible calls them fools. What are you? Now, I know this sounds extremely offensive, and the last thing I want to do is be offensive, but I have to report to you what the Bible says. The Bible has been given to us as a revelation from God. It tells us the very mind of God and what the Lord requires of us. Throughout the course of the summer, we are going to be talking about what it is that God wants of us. How should we live? How does God's wisdom actually stand in opposition to the wisdom of man? In fact, the Bible tells us in, in a number of places, and, and through Paul especially, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to this world. The message of salvation, the message of the cross, is utter foolishness to those who don't know Christ. What you and I want is not the wisdom of this world. We want the wisdom of God. And I'll tell you, there is something that's very attractive in knowing the, the knowledge and the wisdom of this world. But the Bible warns us against that, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that what we want and need more than anything is, in fact, the wisdom of God. So throughout the course of the summer, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. And I'll tell you, uh, I, I don't know what you're thinking these days, but I'm thinking if ever there's been a time when we have needed wisdom, it's right here and right now. We are living in perilous times. We're living in times when we see the world angry and bitter towards the church, angry and bitter towards the word of God and God's people. So we need the wisdom of God, if we're going to make it through these perilous times. So the question then is, how should Christians act or react in these days of lawlessness? How does God call us to live? What do we need to do? Well, let me just begin by saying this about the Proverbs. Proverbs is one of the books that make up what we call wisdom literature. Wisdom literature includes the book of Job, which some believe is the oldest book in the Bible. 
uh, going back at least 4,000 years. Some would say that Job was written during the time of the patriarchs. So that gives you a good idea how ancient the book of Job is. And one of these days we will do a study on that. But the wisdom literature also includes Psalms, it includes the Proverbs, it includes, includes the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, it includes Ecclesiastes, and, and of course, as I said, the Proverbs. We want to not so much look at all of the Proverbs, because there are many there, but what we want to do is we want to understand our need of the Proverbs. We want to understand our need of wisdom, and how do we get this wisdom? Well, let me begin by reading Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read the first seven verses, and it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables which is what we're going to do this morning, or this morning and for the rest of the summer. We're going to explore the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So let's look then at the first words of chapter 1. These are the proverbs of whom? Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. I want to read to you some verses from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 to 14. It's the account of Solomon taking over his father's throne. Solomon, the Bible says, loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David. After Solomon had sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream that night, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Now remember, this is a revolutionary passage of Scripture. It changed my life, and I'll tell you how in just a moment. Solomon's response to God, to God's questions, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you, was this. Lord, you show great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made me king, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. But you love what you're seeing already, the humility of this man. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? 
Now, the Bible tells us that Solomon's response greatly pleased the Lord. And so God replied to Solomon, Because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. Now watch this, verse 13. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Can you see why this passage of Scripture revolutionized my life? When I came, became aware of this passage of Scripture, this became my brand new prayer. Every day now for over 40 years, I have been praying and asking God for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. I cannot be a pastor without your wisdom. I cannot be a good husband without your wisdom. I cannot be a great father without your wisdom. I can't be a good friend without the wisdom of heaven. I'm going to tell you, God has been very faithful to me, and he has answered all my prayers for wisdom. He has helped me in every way. He has not failed me. He has given me insight and wisdom. Do you know, for 37 years, I have too often been alone on the path that I've taken. What do I mean by that? Well, hardly a month goes by where I'm not asked to join some cause, to participate in some new fad, some latest uh, movement, some new idea, some new thing that the church should be doing. Can I tell you that I do not look to humans for direction when it comes to being a pastor. In fact, I don't even look to humans for wisdom when it comes to being a husband and a father or a friend. What I do is I look to the Word of God, and I ask God to show me His will and to show me His way. And God has answered that prayer marvelously and wonderfully. Some people get angry at me because I refuse to embrace their cause some people get angry at me and will even leave the church because I haven't said something or done something according to the way that, I, that they think that I should function or operate. The Galatians were angry at the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was teaching a brand new way, and there were some in Galatia who felt that, that the, the new believers, the new Christians in Galatia should be keeping the laws the way that ancient Israel did. And and Paul comes along and says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has confused you and muddled your thoughts? Don't you understand yet that we are justified? We're made right with God, not by keeping the law, but by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by believing God. And what, does, what did God tell us to do? God told us to believe in his Son. All who believe in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
This is what faith is. It's believing God and doing what he says. But I'm going to tell you, if you start listening to the myriad of pastors and the myriad of teachers on YouTube and the myriad of, of scientists and so-called experts, you are going to be so muddled and so confused. What you need is to know the word of God and to do what the word says. Paul preached to the Thessalonians, and, and he preached to the Bereans, and Paul said the Bereans were the more noble of the two groups of people. Why? Because what they were concerned about was knowing whether or not the Apostle Paul was actually teaching the Word of God. For that, they were called wise. They were called noble people. You and I are called to obey God, to do what the Word of God says. And so what does Paul say to the Galatians? Paul says, look, I'm not looking for your approval. I'm not looking for a pat on the back from you. I'm not looking or seeking to please you. You can read this yourself, Galatians 1.10. If I were still looking for the approval of humans, then I wouldn't be a servant of God. But as it is, I am a servant of God, and I look to please God and God alone. What about you? If you're going to be a truly wise man or wise woman, then you are going to have to learn what it means to seek the pleasure of God and brave the very real possibility that you will be rejected and even hated by your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your workmates. Remember, we're looking for the wisdom of God. We're not looking for the wisdom of this world. We're not trying to figure out a way to fit in. What we're trying to do is we're trying to please our God. So we learn then that Solomon, David's son, has asked God for wisdom. And from this wisdom, he has put together this book called Proverbs. Well, that's not exactly how it happened, but I'm going to tell you more about that in the days to come. Remember, we've got 10 weeks through the course of the summer to tell you more and more about, about Proverbs and the birth of of the Proverbs. Let me take you on to verses 2 and 3. And so verses 2 and 3, Solomon tells us the purpose of the Proverbs, the purpose of teaching this wisdom. He says their purpose, that is the Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. We'll stop there for a moment. Let me just quickly tell you, first of all, what a proverb is. And for most of us, if you were asked the question, what is a proverb, you'd say, well, it's so, uh, it would be a pithy statement that, that tells a truth or a truism. Well, the word proverb comes from the root word mashal. Mashal means to rule, or it, it can mean to have dominion or to reign over somebody. It suggests in its original sense that it was that a proverb was aiming at a superiority in mental action. These proverbs were given to elevate, to bring human thinking to a whole new level. It brings our minds to a whole new level so that we think and we act in an exalted and superior way. Now, that doesn't mean that we are arrogant or proud. No, what does it, what does it mean? It means that we learn how to best reflect 
the image of God. Remember, we were created in the image of God, and after the fall, we went into a spiritual declension, and down, down, down we go. We know that by nature, we are sinful. We are self-centered. We know that by nature, uh, our motives control what we do. And for the most part, many of us are not even aware of what our motives are. That's what the prophet said about our heart. Our heart is, is, is deceptive, exceedingly deceptive above all things. And so what we need is we need to come under the power and the influence of God. We need to have his wisdom. We must learn to obey him and do what he says and not what we say, not what we think, not what seems best to us. Very important. Because that is really how all humans function. What we're seeing right now in, in, in every arena of our culture and our society here in the West is flawed thinking, a flawed wisdom that is taking us down some very, very bad paths. I'll be talking more about that over the next 10 weeks. But understand that what we're seeing in the world today is a rejection of the wisdom given to us by God. And as Christians, our responsibility is to devote ourselves to the wisdom of God. Now, the wonderful thing, this side of, of the cross, is that we have Jesus Christ who has lived out for us the perfect wisdom of God. And more than that, we have been given the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and who makes it possible for us to live wise lives that please the Lord. I wonder today if you are living in obedience to God or if you're following your own ideas. I wonder today if you have the wisdom of God or if you're following the wisdom of this world. I'm going to tell you that if you are converted, if you are a Christian, then your, your sole desire and longing is to please God and to live according to his will. Did you get that? It's to please God and to live according to his will. This is what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember? We, that's what we talked about last summer. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount. We began a series in the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 6, 33? He told us to seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the things that we need will be added unto us. This is the difference between a believer and a non-believer. So let me ask you, are you living as a believer or are you living as a non-believer? We are called to live lives that are absolutely and completely devoted to God and his will. So we have these Proverbs that exalt our thinking, that exalts our thinking and and shows us a superior way to live. Understand that wisdom confronts us and challenges our, our foolishness. Did you know that? When you go into the Word and you read these Proverbs, you're being confronted. In fact, hopefully every Sunday when you tune in and hear me preach, you're being confronted. And sometimes what I say might even make you angry. Well, 
How foolish would it be just to simply get angry? You need to dig into the Scripture and see if what I'm saying to you is true. You need to dig into the Scriptures and discover what, in fact, is God's will. I'm going to just say, by the way, that truth is, is, is always confrontational. It always confronts. And Jesus said that. Don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. Truth, it, it, it just causes us to interact with it. And by the way, that's why so often unconverted people get so angry at the church or the message of the church, why the church is so angry with Jesus, and why so often this world will ridicule and mock Christ because they are being challenged. Do you know that Jesus died for the truth, for speaking the truth? And there's a good chance that you and I may very well die for the same reason. There is persecution coming, I believe. It's already begun. We see examples of it all the time. So the question is, is how do we live in this world? How do we make it through? Well, look, at, don't panic. Don't, don't become anxious. Don't start biting your fingernails off. Relax. God has given us his wisdom. He's imparted it to us. And you and I can find a total rest and a total peace in him and in his word. So, this, these parables and proverbs, the purpose of this, of this book of Proverbs is to teach wisdom and to help us understand the insights of the wise. Do you know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul makes it clear to us that as Christians, we must be preoccupied with gaining the wisdom of God, with understanding the insights of Scripture. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, it says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Hey, there's nothing new under the sun Paul wrote these words almost 2,000 years ago. And what do we discover? We discover that we're facing exactly the same thing. We're, we're experiencing and facing evil days. Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So we need this wisdom from God so that we are helped in living productive and holy lives in these evil days. Isn't it wonderful to know that God gives us everything we need to live a godly life. We are not left like sheep without a shepherd. There's no excuse for foolishness. There's no excuse for stupidity. And I don't care what your IQ is. What matters is whether or not you have put your faith in God and are seeking to please him and do what he says. You know, one of the things about the early church is they were constantly looking for the return of Christ. And that's a good thing. In fact, Jesus tells us to be constantly looking for his return. In the Olivet Discourse, in uh, Matthew 24 and 25, the Lord Jesus tells us what the last days are going to look like. 
And he tells us about some of the signs, and, and so many of these signs are before us even now. And then we get to chapter 25, and he begins by telling a parable of the ten wise virgins. Five are foolish, and five are wise. The five foolish virgins don't have enough oil in their lamp so that they are ready to greet the bridegroom when he comes. The five wise ones, they do have oil. They have enough oil in their, in their, uh, in their lights, oil-driven lights. And so when the bridegroom comes, they're ready for him. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. Because if we're going to get through these last days in a way that pleases the Lord, in a way that makes us ready for Christ's return, then you and I are going to have to turn our hearts to the wisdom of God so that we are indeed ready. Don't be a foolish virgin. Be wise. Make sure that your heart is right with God. Make sure that you are are following closely after the will of God. Don't take this for granted, but understand this is what God's called us to. And then we look at this next passage of Scripture, and actually we see the the same uh, language in both verses. Verse 3, their purpose, that is the purpose of the Proverbs, is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Now, the word here translated discipline, it may be translated instruction in your version of the scripture, but I like the NLT's uh, preference for the use of discipline. Either word can be used. It can be used interchangeably. The idea of a disciplined life is, in fact, a reoccurring theme in the Proverbs, and that's why I wanted to use this passage of scripture. We need to gain discipline. We need to live disciplined lives. And if anything would mark the church in North America in this era, it would be that we are a church that lacks discipline. Now, what is discipline? Discipline is to be controlled. That's what discipline is, is to be controlled or self-controlled. Immanuel Kant said, man must be disciplined for he is by nature raw and wild. How true that is. If you've got little children, you know exactly that what he has said is in fact true. The problem with so many wild children is that they never grow up. They may learn a few, uh, a few ways of, of pulling the wool over people's eyes to pretend that they've got it together and that they're in fact disciplined, but the fact is that they're terribly undisciplined. Do you know that my responsibility as a parent was to teach my children how to be controlled. And the way that my job as a parent began was by controlling them when they were young, when they were little, making them do things that they wouldn't normally want to do on their own, doing the hard stuff, like doing their homework, doing their chores. You know what I'm talking about. Doing things like obeying their father and mother so that they get to the point where they can learn to be self-governed or self-disciplined. That's what a good parent does. And this is what the Proverbs does. It teaches us how to be disciplined, how to make sure that we have lives that are pleasing to the Lord. 
it's not a coincidence that Paul tells us again in Galatians that, that the fruit of the Spirit is, in fact, self-discipline. The, the, the work that God's doing in your life is he's teaching you, helping you to be self-disciplined, self-controlled, so that you live in a way that pleases him. Remember, as children of God, our goal must be to do the will of God every time. This is what holiness is. It's doing the will of God every time. So don't talk to me about all the things you don't do which proves how spiritual you are. Tell me about how you are, in fact, doing God's will every time, because that's what true holiness is. And the Bible's clear that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we need to be learning discipline, because someday we want to be prepared for when Jesus comes. We don't want to be a foolish virgin. We want to be a wise virgin, prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, how important is discipline? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us very plainly that we should never be discouraged when God disciplines us. And sometimes discipline is very unpleasant. I know I've experienced it just as you have. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't be discouraged when God disciplines you. Because if God is disciplining you, that's proof that you are his child. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? God disciplines those whom he loves. Now, the writer of Hebrews, as he is saying this, is actually quoting from, guess where? From Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. God disciplines those whom he loves. And those who are disciplined will enjoy a successful life. I don't have time to get into it, but I would challenge you to go and Google the power of discipline in a person's life. There's, there is article after article, blog after blog, that talks about how a disciplined person is a person who has high self-esteem. An undisciplined person is a person who has low self-esteem and who oftentimes, consequentially, experiences depression. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes it's, it is a chemical thing in the body, and, uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a discipline that is in step with the purposes of God. God wants us to be successful. That's right. Isn't that a, I actually really, really like this translation, to live disciplined and successful lives. The only way that you are going to be successful in your life, and primarily as a Christian, is if you learn to be self-controlled, disciplined. And by self-controlled, we mean doing the will of God. Now, look, no parent wants his or her child to be a loser. <laughs> no, nobody has children and has that thought unless you're out of your mind. You'd have to be totally out of your mind. But sadly... Some parents refuse to discipline their children, thinking that, that they're showing true, unconditional love by allowing their children to do what they want. But sadly, what's happening is that they are enabling their child to be unsuccessful. And even more than that, they're teaching their children a wrong view of God. Mom and dad, you may not discipline your, your children, but God will. 
And when God disciplines your child, if your child is not ready for it, they're going to think, what kind of a horrible ogre God do I serve? One of the things I'm thankful for about my parents is they, they disciplined us and they taught us to be self-controlled. My dad always said we could take our kids anywhere and there was never a problem. Well, listen, God wants us to have his wisdom and to have his discipline so that we could live and enjoy successful lives. This is part of, but it's not the sum total of what Jesus was talking about when he said that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. It doesn't happen by accident. It comes through surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and doing things Christ's way. So what does it look like when a person is disciplined? Well, he lives a life that is right, just, and fair. Does that remind you of anything? A life that is right, just, and fair? Well, the first thing that popped into my mind, and I'm sure you thought it too, is that was Jesus. That's, That's how Christ lived his life while on this earth. Before going to the cross, he came to die for us, but he first came to live for us, to show us how to live, to teach us how to live. And that's why John says in 1 John 2 to 6, those who say they live in God should live lives, should live their lives as Jesus did. Did you hear that? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. This is why we teach the seven habits here. Hey, listen, if you're not converted, the seven habits will do nothing for you. It'll be, it's, it's absolutely a waste of your time. You're just being a religious person. But if you have received Christ into your life, if you've embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the next step is to f- start following him and start imitating him, as John tells us here. You've got to live your life as Jesus did. Now, again, you don't do it in your own wisdom or strength or power. You don't, you don't sort of muster the strength that we're going to be like Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to help you in that process of being like Jesus. And it's not just John that said that. Peter said it as well. He says, for God called you to do good. 1 Peter 2.21. These are verses that you should have underlined or circled in your Bible. God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Paul said the same thing. For, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus said, To his disciple, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. In Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Are you getting the picture here? To live a disciplined life means that we are following after Jesus Christ. In the power of his Holy Spirit, you can't live this life on your own. So what's Solomon teaching us here? He's teaching us the importance of devoting ourselves to gaining a wisdom that comes from God. He's teaching us that we need to be wise and disciplined so that life goes well for us. I don't know if you heard those last few verses of 1 Kings 3. Verse 14, God says, and if you follow me, 
He says to Solomon, if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Sadly, Solomon did not obey God in the end. Solomon the great, the wise, the powerful, the mighty, the richest, wisest king who ever lived, according to some sources. He couldn't do it. And guess what? You can't do it on your own either. You need the power of Almighty God working in your life. And you need to begin to pray, Lord, give me your wisdom. Give me your insight. Give me the ability to know your will. That's really what, what Solomon is saying here. These Proverbs will give you insight to the simple. He will give knowledge and discernment to the young. So I don't know if you consider yourself simple or young today, but understand this, that God wants to give you insight, knowledge, and discernment. I told you at the beginning of my message about Lisa Novak. She had lots of knowledge and a high IQ, but she had absolutely zero insight and zero discernment. Well, the good news is this today. You can have this insight. You can have this discernment. It comes from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who understands that we are sinners. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ, who understood that we needed his spirit to dwell in us so that we could live as Jesus lived. Folks, that is the gospel. That's the good news. We're not just trying to obey a list of rules and laws. We have been given the very power of Almighty God to dwell in us enabling us to live an insightful, knowledgeable, discerning, wise life. All you have to do is say, Lord, give me the grace, give me the wisdom to call on you. Give me the wisdom, O oh God, to desire you and to desire you alone. It's been said that the way to develop a disciplined life is to develop Godly habits. Well, you've heard me talk about habits, and I'm going to close with this. We have taught the people of Cross Church how to follow Jesus. What is it that you have to do? That was always my question when I became a Christian. What do I do now? Well, from my, out of that frustration, I sat down and just going through the, the, the Bible and particularly the teachings of Christ, we came up with these seven, seven habits. Some of you know that the Choi's have just left us and gone to BC, and I sent him a farewell message. I'll close with this. And he sent me back a very lovely email, which I asked permission to share with you. He says, as God opens new paths for my family, we are feeling both happy and sad at the same time. It's been such a grateful time for us with all Cross Church friends and families. Cross Church's seven habits transformed our lives. And through this, we get to know our God more and more. Also, we've learned to value our relationship with God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. As you always say, Pastor, your job is to lead people to home. We thank you for leading us into the right way. That's, that's, what, that's what this is about. That's what our church is about. It's teaching you to walk the narrow road that leads to heaven and to abandon the wide road that leads to destruction. But the way to live that narrow road is to learn 
the insight, the knowledge, the discernment that comes from God. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, give us the wisdom, we pray, to live a life that pleases you. Help us, O God, we pray, to do what Solomon did. He asked you for wisdom. He, he truly fulfilled Matthew 6.33. He, he sought first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And then, Lord, you gave him everything else. Help us, Lord, to live like that. And we thank you, God, that we have all that we need in you. Help us, O oh God, we pray, to follow after Jesus Christ. Give us the ability, give us the grace to live as Christ lived. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wise day.